Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Previously on Truth and Justice. About that time, a black male I know as Red Rock came around the corner. He was with another black male that I don't know. Um, Red Rock lives in the project and he's always asking people for money. He said... Where's the Mexican that stays upstairs? I figured he was talking about Eva because she is half Mexican. I told him Eva was asleep and for him to go home. Now I know for sure he smokes dope and I don't like him. I try to dodge him every time I see him. When I told him to go, he started asking me what was wrong and where was Eva and what was I doing. I just told him to go home. Then Red Rock and his friend left. There is one element of the statement that has my hackles up. Two elements actually. I'm going to put a pin in him for right now, but I am very curious why Red Rock and his friend were included in the narrative. And I'm equally as curious about why Youngster and KD were excluded until after the help arrived. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. The following is an excerpt from Eva Mondragon's written statement. I then heard the voice say, I just fell and hit my head. When I heard this, I realized that this voice was too deep, that it's not the voice of my neighbor. It was too deep and was raggedy, and it sounded like a black person trying to disguise their voice as an old woman. I took off running to the apartment office to get help for the woman. As I ran off, I saw someone coming up from the direction of the apartments across the street. I was in such a hurry that I did not pay attention to who it was, but I just assumed that it was Jennifer coming back to the apartment. Timing is everything in this case. If Eva was not directly involved in the murder of Catalina Palomino, then we have a very specific window of time that we need to focus on in order to determine if Jennifer Jeffley is guilty. We don't have exact times for when Jennifer left to go to Janet's apartment to use the phone. We don't know when she got off the phone, and we don't know the exact time when Eva ran to the manager's office. But we do know that she did in fact leave the scene to get help at some point. And we know that she did return. We also know that Jennifer was not inside of the apartment when Eva returned with the manager and the maintenance man. This window of time between Eva leaving and returning is critical. When did Jennifer show up on the scene? I've been searching through files trying to find some kind of an anchor, some event that was witnessed by more than one person that we can use to pin down the sequence of events. And I finally found something. This is Season 10, Episode 5, Transparencies. Tex 
Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Skystream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second. 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply. Our goal for season 10 is to figure out who killed Catalina Palomino. In order to do that, we first have to determine if the police got it right. Jennifer Jeffley was arrested, charged, and convicted for Catalina's murder. If Houston PD did their job well, then our work here would be done. But one month into this investigation, and I'm not so sure that they did. Everyone that has ever looked at this case in the past has only had the trial transcripts and the exhibits to work with. But we know, after years of wrongful conviction work, that the answer rarely lies in the polished testimonies given at trial. The truth is found in the initial investigative reports. What was said to the police in the first minutes and hours after the crime? Who did the prosecutor choose to not have testify? And how do testimonies differ from initial police statements? For example, Pam Wiley initially telling the police that Eva came into her office screaming that the old lady in the apartment below her is dead. And then at trial testifying that Eva only said that the woman needed help. Without studying the police case file, you would never know that that initial statement ever even occurred. These are all questions that must be asked if we're ever going to find the truth. Today, we're going to examine the window of time between when Eva left to get the manager and when she returned. For reasons that you're going to hear all about in two weeks, we will not be relying on Eva to fill in this gap. To put it bluntly, Eva completely flips on Jennifer and her trial testimony doesn't even resemble her initial statements. But I do think that it's worth mentioning that in her very first interview, Eva says that she saw someone who she assumed was Jennifer walking towards her apartment from the direction of Janet's as she was leaving for the office. Now we can't assume that that someone was Jennifer, but I will point out that no one is ever identified as being that someone. So if it wasn't Jennifer, then who was it? We know now that there are at least some elements of Jennifer's first statement that are not true. She says that Eva told her to lie about being there when she was talking to Catalina. And the evidence seems to suggest that Jennifer did not enter the apartment behind Keith Truesdale and check Catalina's pulse. But I believe that there is at least some truth in this first statement. In fact, I think a lot of it is true. A few episodes ago, I said that something in that statement had my hackles up. It was the detailed description Jennifer gave of an interaction with a guy named Red Rock and the fact that Katie and Youngster were not outside after Eva left, which was concerning 
because according to Eva's statement, the guys were still standing there when she took off for the office. Let me just read to you this section of Jennifer's first statement for reference. First, the paragraph that I think could be true. Quote, I walked back towards Eva's apartment. As I walked up, I saw Eva on the step at the bottom of the steps in front of her apartment. She was talking to the elderly Hispanic lady who lives downstairs from her. She was acting scared and she was saying, are you okay? I couldn't see the lady, but someone was answering Eva from inside the apartment. The person was saying, yeah, I'm okay, I just fell and hit my head. Eva asked her if she wanted her to go to call the police. The voice answered back, no, 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 I'm okay, I just hit my head. The voice didn't sound right. You could tell it was an imitation. It was obvious that this was someone trying to imitate an elderly woman. The voice was high-pitched, but it was husky, rough, and ragged. It sounded like someone with a low voice talking in a high voice. Let's break down what Jennifer is saying here. She says, quote, As I walked up, I saw Eva on the steps. End quote. Now, compare that to what Eva says in her first interview. Quote, As I ran off, I saw someone coming up in the direction of the apartments across the street. I was in such a hurry that I did not pay attention to who it was, but I just assumed that it was Jennifer coming back to the apartment. So that part lines up perfectly with what Eva said. Also, let's look at verbiage here. Jennifer says that she can hear Eva, but she never says that she talks to her. She says that she could also hear the voice coming from inside, which also makes sense since the patio door was open and she was in the alleyway just outside of the apartment. And lastly, her description of the voice is very similar to Eva's, but she doesn't use the exact same words. Eva said the voice was, quote, deep and raggedy, whereas Jennifer describes the voice as, quote, high-pitched, but it was husky, rough, and ragged. And then she adds to that, it sounded like someone with a low voice talking in a high voice. The fact that she adds detail here, to me, reads like she's really trying to make the interviewer, Sergeant Boyd Smith, understand what she heard, as though she actually heard it. The next paragraph is the part of Jennifer's statement that she openly admits is false. It's also not difficult to make that determination even without the recantation. The first paragraph that I just read to you is a flowing narrative that seems to be rooted in reality. Not only does it fit with the evidence, but it also makes sense. She's approaching the scene. She can see and hear Eva. She can hear the voice from inside, but she can't see Catalina. She doesn't mention Katie or Youngster, but keep in mind that a person only needs to be a few steps up the staircase in order to be out of sight of someone who's approaching from the east. Now listen to this part. This is the next paragraph from Jennifer's statement. Quote, Eva told me that she knows her neighbor and that the voice did not sound like hers. I had heard her say good morning and the voice I was hearing was way different from the voice I had heard from the woman earlier. Eva told me that something was wrong and I agreed. I told her to go call the police. In this part of the statement, Jennifer and Eva are having a full conversation while standing outside of the apartment. Eva's explaining to Jennifer that the voice didn't sound right. Jennifer adds that the voice didn't sound the same as the voice she heard in the morning. That Eva says to Jennifer that something's wrong. And then 15-year-old Jennifer then directs 24-year-old Eva to go call the police. I think this part of the statement, first of all, is nonsensical. And since Jennifer has recanted it, I'm going to throw it out of the timeline. 
to further the argument that the conversation with Eva never happened, let's look at the very next paragraph. Quote, Eva ran around to the office to call the police. I ran to the front door, which is under the stairs. I was still talking to the voice when Eva left. I wasn't sure what had happened, but I started knocking on the door and was hollering that the police was on the way and for her to let me in. The voice answered again that she was okay, that she had just hit her head. I kept knocking and I was shaking the door and I told her I wanted to come in and see if she was okay. At that point, she stopped answering me. This made me start knocking on the door more, trying to get in. Now let's compare that to the previous paragraph. In the throwaway paragraph, Eva is standing at the bottom of the steps, and she and Jennifer have a conversation about her going to call the police. But listen again to what she says in the very next sentence. Eva ran around the office to call the police. I ran to the front door, which is under the stairs. So she says that she ran to the door. If she was already standing at the bottom of the stairs, then the front door was just two long strides away. She couldn't run to the door from there, but she could run from down the alleyway where Eva says that she was when all of this was happening. Now let's look at one of the next sentences. Quote, I wasn't sure what was happening, but I started knocking on the door, and I was hollering that the police was on the way for her to let me in. Now, how would she not be sure what was happening if she had just been there with Eva during the entire encounter and had just had a conversation with Eva about the voice being fake? I think that there's a high likelihood that there is some truth in this statement. If we just remove the three sentences about the conversation with Eva, we're left with a flowing narrative that makes sense. Jennifer is walking up the sidewalk when she sees Eva at the bottom of the stairs talking to the voice in Catalina's apartment. Now, whether or not she actually did hear the voices, to me, is still up in the air. We just don't know because she made up this section of the story. But if she did, then what happens is she overhears the conversation between Eva and the voice inside and sees Eva take off for the office. Jennifer then runs up to Connellina's door and begins knocking. And then, this happens. Back to Jennifer's statement. At about that time, a black male I know as Red Rock came walking around the corner. He was with another black male I don't know. Red Rock lives in the project and is always asking people for money. He said, where's the Mexican that stays upstairs? I figured he was talking about Eva because she is half Mexican. I told him Eva was asleep and for him to go away. I know for sure he smokes dope, and I don't like him. I try to dodge him every time I see him. When I told him to go, he started asking me what was wrong, and where was Eva, and what was I doing. I just told him to go home. Then Red Rock and his friend left. Then Eva came back. Two weeks ago, I said that I wanted to put a pin in this part of the statement. The encounter with Red Rock jumped out at me. Because it's not at all relevant to the murder investigation, since Jennifer says that Red Rock and his buddy came, quote, walking around the corner while she was hearing the voice from inside. And yet, there's a lot of detail here. I didn't read it as something that was just made up. It seemed like a true event in the story. And it's one of the few elements of the first statement that makes it all the way through to her final statement. I couldn't put my finger on what was bothering me, but it just seemed to me that this interaction with Red Rock is important. And I was also bothered by the fact that Katie and Youngster are not outside why all of this is happening in her statement. And yet, according to Eva's statement, they were all standing on the steps when she left for the office. So I think you know what I'm going to say next. Something here is hinky. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What I just described to you in the last segment was a series of events that occurred over a period of one, maybe two minutes, three at the most. But those two or three minutes could hold the key to proving Jennifer's innocence. If Jennifer arrived on the scene, walking down the sidewalk, as Eva is talking to the killer inside of Catalina's apartment, then there's only one conclusion for us to come to. Jennifer is innocent. Based on my analysis of Jennifer's first statement, I believe that the following scenario rings true. Jennifer walked back to Eva's apartment from Janet's using the sidewalk on the east side of the complex. As she turned the corner onto the sidewalk alley between buildings 4 and 5, Jennifer saw Eva standing at the bottom of the stairs. She heard Eva yelling into an apartment and asking if everything was okay. She then heard the fake voice from inside saying she's fine. She saw Eva run in the opposite direction, around the corner towards the office, and she began running herself to the apartment. Jennifer then started knocking on the door. At that time, Red Rock and his friend come around the corner. Based on Jennifer's description of where Eva ran to, I'm assuming that around the corner means from the west, the direction of the main drive and office. Jennifer and Red Rock have a short conversation and she shoos him away. Shortly after that, Eva returns. If this version of events is true, then plain and simple, Jennifer Jeffley has been wrongfully convicted. And I now have in my possession the district attorney's file on the case. It's nearly 600 pages long, and it contains the entire police file. In that file, there are several witness statements that involve the mysterious Red Rock. The first one I want to read to you is the statement given by Catalina's neighbor, someone that we didn't hear from at trial, and that most people who have reviewed this case are completely unaware of. This is the report from the oral interview of Catalina's next-door neighbor, June Sage. She lives in the lower unit apartment, number 59. Her front door and Catalina's front door were right next to each other. This is the report. June Sage stated there is always pedestrian traffic going up and down the stairs heading to the apartment upstairs. She has seen at least two young black females living in the apartment above the complainant. Miss Sage had a difficult time keeping her thoughts focused on the events of this morning. At times, she would begin to articulate events that occurred at an earlier time. However, this officer was able to learn from her that she and the neighbor lady, complainant, were adamant about not opening the door to strangers. If June did not recognize who was outside the door, she would not open the door under any circumstances. June Sage indicated that her neighbor, the complainant, followed this safety policy. June continued by saying that around 9.30 a.m. or so, somebody knocked on her front door. When she got to the door, she looked out the peephole. 
Outside, she observed a young black female that she described as short, disarray, and two-toned hair which was pulled back. The female was wearing a black t-shirt. She was quite sure that the young girl found at the door is one of the girls from the upstairs apartment. June Sage did not open the door or respond to the visitor. She then watched the young girl go to her neighbor's apartment and begin knocking on the complainant's door. A few minutes later, she observed two or three black males come into the same area. The black males left, and then she left the door's peephole. A few moments later, June Sage described that, quote, it sounded like something was being thrown around in the neighbor's apartment, end quote, followed by a blood-curdling scream coming from the apartment. Then it got quiet. Sage did not elaborate on any other findings. One of our transcribers, Pamela Westby, recently said in our Facebook group that with all of these statements, we need an old-fashioned transparency projector. I'm personally of the age that I know exactly what Pamela is talking about. But just in case you don't, what she means is this. Imagine we have several transparent sheets of plastic, each of which contains a timeline of events reported by a given witness. The idea is that we would lay each witness's timeline on top of the others and project those onto a screen to see how they line up. And I think Pamela's analogy is perfect for the situation that we find ourselves in. So let's look at our timeline through the lens of a transparency. Our first layer is Jennifer's timeline from her first statement as I presented it to you. Our second layer is June's statement. So how does it line up? Well, let's take a look. I'm working off the hypothesis that as Jennifer approached the scene, Eva ran off. As Jen said in her own words, she didn't really know what was going on. Now, if that's true, I think it's reasonable that Jennifer may have knocked on the wrong door first. Or maybe June just heard loud knocking and thought it was at her door. Either way, Miss Sage describes a young girl that I believe had to be Jennifer knocking on her door at around 9.30 a.m. She says the girl then goes over to Catalina's door and continues knocking. She then saw through her peephole two or three black men come into the area. The men left, and she stopped looking. Moments later, June heard what she described as something being thrown around in Catalina's apartment and a blood-curdling scream. With Jennifer's statement as the first layer and June Sage's as the second, we can line up what June saw with the visit from Red Rock and his friend at around 9.30 a.m. And now, let's throw on a couple more layers. The layers from Keith Truesdale and Pam Wiley. They arrive on the scene, and this would be the period of time when June was no longer watching out of her peephole, and Keith jumps the fence. He moves a large plant stand and a pot away from the door and lets Pam in. Now, in June's timeline, which fits very closely with the 9.30 to 9.45 timeline given by the other witnesses, the time when she heard what sounded like something, quote, was being thrown around in Catalina's apartment would be about the time that Keith moved the pot and stand. And then she heard a, quote, blood-curdling scream at the time when the body was discovered by Pam and Lavana. Things seemed to be lining up. But before we move ahead any further, we probably need to figure out if there ever was a man named Red Rock on the scene. Because if there wasn't, then June Sage may have seen the killers outside. But as it turns out, Red Rock does exist. And his real name is Broderick Smith.
Officer Peekert found old Red Rock in the crowd outside of the apartments on the morning of the murder. This is the report documenting Broderick's oral interview. Officer Peekert indicated that two black males were said to be near the apartment earlier. Officer Peekert found these two males in the crowd that had gathered and brought them to this investigator. Officer interviewed each one of them separately. Red Rock, Broderick Smith, indicated that his friend, House and Ram, came over to his house earlier this morning. Red Rock said that he had made plans to assist a woman in the complex to move furniture. Red Rock and his friend walked to Wanda's apartment, but did not find her car anywhere around. Wanda's apartment is allegedly in the vicinity of the complainant's apartment. After deciding that Wanda was not at home, Red Rock said to Ram that he wanted to visit the Mexican girl that lives in the apartment number 58. The two men walked to the apartment, and when they got there, they found Jen under the stairs near the complainant's apartment door. Red Rock described her actions as nervous, while at the same time trying to get Red Rock to leave. Jennifer told Red Rock that Eva was asleep and not to bother her. The men left the area, but 20 to 30 minutes later, they went back to Wanda's apartment to see if she was home yet to move her furniture. When they got to the area, a guy he knows from the complex said that they found a body in an apartment. When they got to the area of the commotion, they realized that this is the apartment they observed Jen outside at the door. Red Rock was wearing a baseball cap, a blue and green warm-up nylon jacket, and dark pants. Red Rock has crooked teeth and his lips are damaged from what appears to be burns. The neighbors say the burns are from excessive crack smoking. A written statement will be taken at a later date. So here's another layer of our transparency. Red Rock confirms that he and a friend named House and Ram did in fact walk up to Eva's apartment that morning. When they did, they found Jennifer under the stairs knocking on Catalina's door. His account is identical to hers. He asked where Eva is. Jennifer said that she was sleeping and not to bother her. They talked for a couple minutes, and at that point, he and Housen left the area. So we now know that Red Rock does exist. And according to him, the encounter with Jennifer went down exactly like she said it did. Now, I also want to point out that Red Rock, just like Jennifer, doesn't mention Katie or Youngster. They're absent from the story just as they're absent from hers and June Sages, who also only saw the two or three black men approach the scene, talk to Jennifer, and leave. Now, as an aside, someone asked in this week's follow-up if any of these characters are visible in the crime scene video that I have posted on our YouTube channel. Red Rock is in the video. You can see him standing in the back of the crowd outside of the apartment. He's tall and thin and wearing a blue and green jacket and a ball cap, just like the report says. Housen, on the other hand, I'm not sure I can find him in the crowd. However, you're about to hear that he has a bike, and his bike is in the video. So now, let's move on to our next layer, Housen Ram. Housen was first interviewed on the scene, and then he gave a written statement five days later. This is the report from his oral interview at the scene. Housen Ram is a tall black male. Six foot two, 180 pounds, white muscle t-shirt, and dark-colored slacks. Housen indicated in his oral interview that he came to visit his friend Red Rock. Housen at one time lived in this complex and knew Red Rock from that time. Housen moved to the Burke address a few months ago. He rode his bicycle to the apartment complex because his neighborhood is too boring. Red Rock told him that he was going to help a lady move some furniture from her apartment. Housen did not know the lady or the apartment, but he followed Red Rock to the location. 
Red Rock told him that the lady's car was not around, so they went across the parking lot and were headed to a girl's apartment. Housen had no idea where they were going, but he tagged along. Housen was under the impression that Red Rock was going to meet up with a girl and attempt to get some sex. When they got to the apartment building, Red Rock was heading up the stairs. Housen stopped at the end of the walkway where it meets the stairs. Standing under the stairs near the complainant's apartment front door was a black female. The female had her hair pulled back and highlighted with color. Housen described her clothing as black t-shirt and black jeans. Housen described her actions as looking through the steps of the stairway. Housen stated that he was too far from the two as they spoke to one another, but he could tell that the girl was trying to get rid of Red Rock. Housen indicated that this is not unusual for people to treat Red Rock in this fashion. Housen indicated that Red Rock will get on other people's nerves, so he accepted what the woman was doing as usual. An agreement was made to meet this witness at a later time to obtain a written statement. So, so far, everything is lining up with Jennifer's statement. She said that she knew Red Rock by name, but not his friend. In Red Rock's interview, he referred to Jen as, well, Jen, as though he knew her. But Housen says that he doesn't know the girl, but describes her in the exact same way as June Sage. Pulled back, highlighted hair, wearing a black t-shirt. Housen described the interaction between Red Rock and Jen in the same way that both of them relayed the story. Jennifer's under the stairs by the front door, she and Red Rock have a conversation, and he could tell that she was trying to get rid of him. And, also absent from Housen's story, are Katie and Youngster. Five days later, detectives went to Housen's home to get this written statement. On Tuesday, October 29, 1996, I left my house in Pasadena and rode my red bicycle to visit a friend of mine in the Green Arbor Apartments. At one time, I lived at those apartments in apartment number 224. I moved away from there in early September of this year. One of my friends, Red Rock, whose real name is Broderick, lives in the front of the Green Arbor apartment complex. I go over to the apartments just to hang out with him. On that morning, he, Red Rock, said that he was going to help a woman move from her apartment. So he went to the apartment to see if she was home. When we got to the area, Red Rock said he did not see her car anywhere around. So we did not go to her apartment. This apartment is close to the main drive and the apartment management office. While in the area, Red Rock says that there is a girl he wants to mess around with. I agree to go over to the apartment with him. We crossed the main drive and we're heading to the apartment. I don't know who he was planning on visiting, but I go along. We get to an apartment building and Red Rock begins to go upstairs to the second floor. I stopped at the end of the sidewalk near the stairs. I see a girl wearing a black t-shirt and black shorts standing under the stairway. Officer Swainson handed me a photo of a black female and I immediately identified her as the woman I saw under the steps. This girl stopped Red Rock as he was going up the steps. She motioned to both of us to go away. She looked at me and said, tell your friend to go away. Red Rock spoke to her for a few minutes before we decided to leave. I don't know what was said between the two of them. So we left and walked back to Red Rock's apartment. We had a smoke and stayed in the apartment for about 25 to 30 minutes. After that, we decided to go check on the lady's apartment to see if we could help her moving her furniture. While we were headed in that direction, Ralph, a white guy I know from the complex, said that the ambulance was over in the apartment complex and that a body was found. So we headed in that direction, and when we got there, we saw an ambulance, several police officers, and many people. While waiting there, watching all the happenings, I saw the same black girl wearing the black t-shirt and black shorts as part of the crowd. I also realized that this is the same apartment that Red Rock and I came to just 30 minutes ago. 
I stayed there and was eventually interviewed by these investigators. I saw the detectives interviewing several people, including the female wearing the black t-shirt, except the girl was now wearing blue jeans and not the black shorts she had on earlier. I didn't know what had just happened, but I do know that she was the person I saw under the steps just before the ambulance arrived. On that day, I was wearing a white muscle t-shirt and blue jeans. Red Rock was wearing gray pants, gray sweatpants, a jacket, and a ball cap. Housen relays the same story in his written statement as he did in his oral interview. One thing that I want to note, though, is timing. In both Housen's statements, he says that only 25 or 30 minutes passed from the time he saw Jennifer knocking on the door until he returned. And by that time, the police and ambulance were already on the scene and word had gotten around the complex that a woman had been found dead. I note this because, like I'm sure many of you are doing right now, I'm wondering if this interaction could have occurred before Eva came out to check on the screaming meaning that it could have been after Red Rock and Housen left when the assault began. I don't think that's the case, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't at least put the possibility out there, especially given the absence of KD and Youngster. If they were outside after Eva left, then none of this could have happened in the time frame that I think it did. So, for that reason, I want to put a pin in the fact that according to Red Rock and Housen, it was only 25 to 30 minutes that had passed by before the whole complex knew what had happened. Before we add our last two transparencies, I want to button up this segment on Red Rock and Housen. Red Rock met with Detective Allen at the Green Arbor office to give a witness statement on November 5th. It was taken on the same day and just after Pam Wiley gave her written statement. One thing to note here is that in this statement, Broderick refers to Housen as Michael. I'm not sure why that is, but that's what he does. Here's the statement. That Tuesday morning, October 29th, 1996, a friend of mine named Michael came over that morning. Michael rides an orange bicycle. I told Michael that I needed to help a woman move this morning. The woman's name is Wanda. Wanda lives behind the office in an upstairs apartment. I walked from my apartment, number 208, and came across the sidewalk behind the office to Wanda's apartment. I did not see her car, and I told Michael it doesn't look like she's home. I told Michael, let's go over and see a friend of mine named Eva. We walked over to Eva's apartment. Eva lives above the woman that was found dead. I started up the steps, and Michael was on his bicycle at the foot of the steps. As I was going up the steps, I noticed this young black girl named Jen underneath the stairs by the front door where the woman lived. Jen had her back against the door. I asked Jen where her friend was at. She told me she was asleep. Jen said, what do you want? I told her nothing. I might hook up with her later on. I told her I had a job later on. She said, why don't you just go? I said, for what? And she said, just go. Michael was talking about Jen and wanted to know who she was. Jen did not tell us anything was going on in the woman's apartment. Jen was wearing a t-shirt. I think it was black. Jen had on a pair of shorts. I do not know what color they were. We go back to my apartment. I drank some coffee and Michael ate potato chips. We were just talking and smoked a cigarette. We left my apartment and went back over to Wanda's. She was home this time. I asked her if she was ready to move. I saw Juan. Juan is a maintenance man at the apartments. I got a cigarette from Juan, and I saw another person named Ralph who lives with a woman named Jennifer. I was standing on Wanda's steps when Ralph appeared, and Ralph said someone must have got killed because he saw a policeman over by an apartment. Michael, Wanda, and I walked over to the location and found out that a woman had been killed. I heard someone talking, and they said they heard screams, and the woman inside said she had just fell. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now that we've confirmed that Jennifer, at some point, was knocking on Catalina's door, while she was banging on the door, Red Rock and Housen came by to see Eva. Jen and Red Rock had a conversation while Housen stayed back on the sidewalk. Jennifer then shooed the two away. So now that we know that, the only question that remains is, when did this occur? Was it before or after Eva left to go to get the manager? And to help answer that question, we're going to add two more transparencies to our timeline. Youngsters and KDs. According to Eva, when she left to go to the office, the two young men were still standing outside on the steps, which really throws a kink into Jennifer's statement. But let's see how things line up when we hear what the boys had to say. On the day after the murder, Detective Swainson and Allen went to Youngster and Katie's house. Allen's report says that KD, which is Kevin Driver, seemed to have a pretty clear picture of what happened the morning before. But Youngster, Pharrell Smith, wasn't quite so clear. He initially told Alan that Jennifer was with them when they went down the stairs to check on the screaming, but he then changed his mind when he, quote, learned that his brother and Eva were in direct conflict with him, end quote. Katie and Youngster were then transported to the police station to give statements. Detective Allen put Youngster in his car, and Swainson took KD. This was the trip where they picked up Jennifer along the way, when her grandmother was left standing in the parking lot with her keys in her hand. We're going to start with KD's statement. For time's sake, I'm only going to read the portion relevant to the timeline that we're discussing today, but the full statement is available on our website. Here's KD's written statement. The next morning, I was sleeping on the bedroom floor. Youngster was laying in the bed, and Eva, I guess, was out in the living room. I never saw Jen leave the apartment, but she's not in the apartment. I woke up that morning to the sounds of a woman screaming for help over and over. It sounded like the voice was coming from outside of our apartment. I laid there a few minutes, kind of falling asleep in between the screams. I heard the front door of the apartment open. I then heard Eva yell out, what's wrong? It sounded like she was outside headed down the stairs. Youngster then jumps out of bed and steps over me. I get up immediately and I'm walking behind him towards the front door of the apartment. I'm only a step or two behind him. We go out the front door and are heading down the steps. Eva is already down at the bottom of the steps looking towards the downstairs apartment patio area. When I get to the bottom of the steps, I can see that the patio screen door is bent in and part of the screen is torn. The sliding glass door is open. Eva is yelling into the apartment, is everybody okay? The person inside says that everything is fine, you can go back upstairs. The voice was impersonating an old lady's voice. Eva then told me and Youngster to go back upstairs. She was worried that the apartment manager would find all this traffic going into her apartment. But just before we went back up the stairs, I heard the same voice from inside the apartment say, Let go of me, let me go, she said a name. I'm not sure what the male's name was used, but I think it was Mike. When we first exited the apartment and went downstairs, I never saw Jen around. I only saw Eva and Youngster. No one else was around the area. 
youngster and I went back upstairs for a few minutes. We didn't want Eva to get in trouble. While we were in the apartment, it was real quiet downstairs. We were still pretty curious, so we left the apartment again. Youngster was walking behind me, and this time I saw Jen coming around the corner from the east. She was just walking down the sidewalk very calmly. Eva was standing there, and I saw a Mexican maintenance man jump over the fence into the patio. Jen was coming around along the sidewalk, and now she was saying we need to call for an ambulance. We were walking up the stairs of the apartment, and we told her that somebody already did. So we went up to the apartment and sat there for a few minutes. Youngster and Jen walked into the bedroom and talked for a few minutes between themselves. I think Youngster is asking her where she did go, but I can't really hear the conversation. KD's transparency does not fit perfectly into our timeline, but the elements are there, including one very important point. According to KD, Eva sent him and Youngster back into the apartment while she was yelling at the voice from inside Catalina's. There are definitely some other important elements to the statement, but we're going to be circling back to them in another episode. But regarding our timeline, Katie says that he and his brother were not outside during the time that Jennifer says that she ran to the scene and knocked on Catalina's door. That part matches up. And he also says that Jennifer casually walked around the corner from the east. That part also fits neatly into our puzzle. But the problem is that the way KD remembers things happening, Jennifer didn't walk around the corner until after Eva was already back. Now, the good news for Jennifer is that this statement would alibi her. But that's not what we're trying to do here. I'm not trying to alibi Jennifer. I'm trying to find the truth. I think that Katie did see Jennifer walk around the corner, but I think he has his sequence wrong. And I say that because there's an abrupt hiccup in this part of the narrative. Everything is flowing chronologically until this part. He says, quote, she was just walking down the sidewalk very calmly, end quote. And then in the very next sentence, he says, quote, Eva was standing there and I saw a Mexican maintenance man jump over the fence into the patio, end quote. He doesn't connect the dots like he does in the rest of his statement. It's like his brain can't recall what happened between points A and C, so he just skips B. I think the reason for this is because he actually saw Jennifer walk around the corner the first time he was outside with Eva. If I had to make a bet, I would guess that at the exact moment that Jennifer appears, Eva told him and Youngster to get back into the apartment, and they went up the stairs before Jennifer saw them. That's just a hypothesis, so let's see what Youngster has to say. Here's the portion of his written statement relevant to our timeline. And again, the full statement is available on our website. But be forewarned, this statement is a mess but there are some critical points hidden within it. Here's the statement. The next thing I remember happening was I felt Jen getting out of the bed. That woke me up. I asked her what she was doing, and she told me it was none of my business. She was wearing a really long black t-shirt. I just laid back down and went right back to sleep. Then, the next thing I knew, I heard a lady screaming. This woke me up. When I woke up, it was just me and my brother. Jen was not in the room. I didn't know when she left or how long she had been gone. I jumped up and stepped over my brother and opened the bedroom door. When I did, KD kind of looked at me and said, What's up, Pharrell? I told him I don't know and I walked out of the bedroom. I saw Eva open the front door of the apartment and run downstairs. I started out behind her. I saw that KD was coming out of the bedroom when I was going out the front door. 
When I got out, I saw that Eva was just making it down to the end of the stairs. I saw Jen standing on the sidewalk on the left of the stairs, still wearing the long black t-shirt and light-colored blue jeans. They were both looking towards the sliding glass door of the apartment that's just under Eva's. Jen was standing so that she was behind Eva, about six or eight feet. I heard Jen say, call 911. I think she was saying it to two men who were near there. One of the men was about 19 to 20 years old and was sitting on a mountain bike on the sidewalk about 10 feet away from Jen. He looked about 6 foot 2 and had his head shaved. He was wearing a white tank top and had a stocky build. The other man was walking towards us on the sidewalk that runs between the apartment buildings. I call it an alleyway. This man lives at these apartments. I know him by face and I know he is a dope fiend. He is about 6 foot 3 and skinny. He's about 30 or 32 years old. He was wearing some kind of a cap and he has a snaggle tooth or a chipped tooth. Both of these men were saying things like, what's happening? Eva was asking over and over if anyone was in the apartment, but no one was answering. Then she said she was fixing to go to the manager's office. At about that time, Jen walked off towards the front of the apartments like she was going to Janet's apartment. I know she uses the phone there all the time. I'm not sure if she left before or after Eva said she was going to the manager's office. After Jen walked off, Eva was still asking questions. By that time, me and KD was all the way down at the bottom. As I was coming down the stairs, I could see that the back door of the apartment that was right under Eva's had been broken. The screen was bent in. When I got down to the bottom of the stairs, I heard someone inside the apartment talking. The voice sounded like it was a man disguising his voice to sound like an old person. The voice was saying things like, I'm okay, I just fell down, and you can go home now. Eva kept asking the voice if she was okay. Did she need an ambulance? Do you need me to call 911? And things like that. The person inside just stopped talking, so Eva said, forget this, I'm just going to the manager's office. Eva ran towards the manager's office. Eva was gone about two minutes. The two men were still standing there, along with the twins' mom. The twins are two girls named Nina and Sina who live there in these apartments. Their mom was there. When I saw Eva come back, she was with about five people from the office. They were all running. When Eva saw me, she motioned at me and whispered to me for me and my brother to go back upstairs. I think the reason she did that was because the manager lady had told her that there was too much traffic coming in and out of her house. Me and KD went back up into Eva's apartment. When we got up there, we looked out the window. I saw two maintenance guys jump over the fence of the apartments downstairs. I couldn't see from where I was where they went after they jumped the fence. I could hear an ambulance coming, so we went back downstairs. When I went down, the twins' mother was still there. Eva was in the doorway of the downstairs apartment holding her chest like. The door was open, and I could see several people inside. I saw the maintenance people, a nurse, and some managers. The nurse was on her knees doing something. I didn't see the lady. I guess there were too many people around her. Okay, so Youngster is obviously lying. I don't believe, and I doubt that any of you believe, that Jennifer was outside when Eva was walking down the stairs, or that Jennifer said to call 911. The entire timeline he's giving here is BS as far as I'm concerned. There are elements here that we know happened, but not in this order. And there are elements that we know didn't happen. I think that KD did his best to tell the truth. But Youngster is trying to stick to a lie that doesn't fit with reality. He's trying to convince the detective that Jennifer was there when they all went outside, which is what Jennifer claims Eva told her to say, and consequently is why Youngster's timeline just doesn't make any sense. So 
what can we learn from the statement? For starters, we have three new witnesses, the twins and their mom. We do have statements from them, but we'll get to them later. But I will tell you now that they were on the scene, but not until after Pam Wiley and Keith Truesdale were on their way. Their statements say that they were walking across the parking lot when they saw Pam and company running towards the apartment. They followed, and they did see Youngster and KD, but they did not see Red Rocker Housen as indicated by Youngster in his statement. But there is one very important element to Youngster's statement. One piece that completes our transparency puzzle. There are two events in this story that we know happened. Number one, Youngster and KD woke up. And if we believe any part of Eva and KD's statements, that occurred when the screaming began. And the second thing that we know happened from the statement is that Youngster saw Jennifer talking to Red Rock and Housen after he woke up to the screaming, which is exactly when Jennifer says that she was talking to them. Listen to how Youngster describes the two men that he saw Jennifer talking to. And notice he doesn't refer to them by name, but he knows what they look like and what they were wearing. Quote, One of the men was about 19 to 20 years old and was sitting on a mountain bike on the sidewalk about 10 feet away from Jen. He looked about 6 foot 2 and had his head shaved. He was wearing a white tank top and had a stocky build. That would be Housen. And here's how he describes the other man. Quote, I know him by face, and I know he's a dope fiend. He's about six foot three and skinny. He's about 30 or 32 years old. He was wearing some kind of a cap, and he has a snaggle tooth or a chip tooth. And that would be Red Rock. The only gap in our timeline that remains is the fact that neither Jen, Red Rock, or Housen saw Youngster or KD when they were talking. And keep in mind, when they were talking, Red Rock was on the stairs. So it's literally impossible for Youngster to have been outside when he witnessed this conversation without all three of them seeing him. So now we have this conundrum where we know that Youngster saw Red Rock and Housen, but he wasn't outside when he saw them. And Youngster provides us with an explanation for that. In his statement, he says that after Eva sent him and his brother back into the apartment, that he was looking out the window. Now, he says that while he was looking out the window, he saw the maintenance man jump the fence. And I think that's also exactly what happened here. He was watching Jennifer talk to Red Rock through the window. When we put all of these statements together, this is what I believe happened. Katie and Youngster woke up to the sound of screams and Eva opening the front door. As they left the bedroom, they saw Eva heading down the stairs. They followed behind her. Just like KD said, Eva began yelling into the apartment and turned to the two brothers and told them to go back upstairs. Right then, Jennifer came, as KD put it, casually walking around the corner from the east, returning from Janet's. KD gets a glimpse of her before he goes back inside with Youngster. As Jennifer gets closer, she hears all the screaming and looks up to see Eva yelling into the apartment. Just then, Eva decides to go to the office for help. As she does, she notices Jennifer walking towards her. Eva takes off for the office, and Jennifer starts running down the alleyway to Catalina's front door. As she says, she doesn't really know what's going on. She first knocks on June Sage's door. 
June looks through the peephole and sees her, but doesn't open. Jennifer then moves over and begins knocking on Catalina's door. As she's knocking on the door, Red Rock and Housen approach. She tells them to go away, and they eventually comply. Youngster sees that conversation happen through the window, and June Sage sees it through the peephole. Red Rock and Housen take off to the west, towards the manager's office. And I believe that it's at this point that the killers jumped back over the fence and fled to the east. Jennifer's view would have been blocked by the wall at that point. The killers flee to the east, and shortly after, Eva arrives back on the scene with Pam. And from there, we know the rest of the story. Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at Bob Ruff Truth, and Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.
You are up at four, baking pastries at five, and open at six. 100th cappuccino by eight, 200th customer by nine, and there's still 12 hours to go. That's why you need a business broadband that works as hard as you do. Introducing Sky Business. With 4G internet backup and our stay-connected guarantee, that's better business. To find out more, visit skybusiness.com. Sky Fiber only, 30-second 4G activation or one-off credit. New customers, Pro Plus packs only. T's and C's apply.